Good morning. So this is, of course, the time when our kids are headed off to Children's Church. Uh, I said, of course, if you don't know that, that's this time. So uh, they're headed out that way this morning. So if you've got a, a child that age group, they're headed that way. We've also got a, a cry room uh, over there, and, uh, or a cry room in the back, I should say, and an attended nursery across the way in the other building as well, if you need uh, any of those resources this morning. We're glad that you're here today and glad uh, it's good to be together and worshiping. If you're visiting with us, we're glad that you are here and hope that you're, you're blessed by your time with us. Uh, we are going to have, after um, our, our worship time today, we usually have a couple of adult classes, but for today and, and next week, uh, we're going to be combined talking about baptism. We're finishing this series today. Uh, we've kind of been looking at this, this theme, this thread of, of the restorative uh, and, and redemptive powers of water throughout Scripture. And, and we started uh, kind of with some of the Old Testament epic narratives that, that show and display God's power, and then we went to some New Testament writings about baptism and how there's this thread through all of that of, of the redemptive and, and, and saving powers of water throughout Scripture. Uh, and so we're finishing that series today. Uh, and so we wanted to have a couple of classes then, kind of more specifically about baptism and kind of the nuts and bolts of some of that. We want it to be conversational. Uh, if you're familiar with our auditorium, I mean, our, our kind of uh, fellowship hall class on Sunday mornings, where it's very just kind of open conversation, it'll be a little more structured than that. Uh, but we want it to be conversational and sharing of different perspectives because uh, we value different perspectives. We think we can learn from each other uh, and come to appreciate each other better. And so we'll explain a lot more of that in there, but we hope you'll come uh, and join us for those conversations. Uh, so next week, then, we're going to begin a new series uh, entitled Ghost Stories, uh, Spirits and Ghosts in 1 Samuel. It'll be October next time we meet, which seems a little crazy. <laughs> so we're going to talk about ghost stories, and, um, and that's all I'm going to say about that series. You'll have to come back next week for the rest of it. So we'll start that next week, though. Uh, like I said, today, though, we're going to conclude this series with another story about water and a look at Jesus' transformative power as it is displayed in a story of Jesus changing water into wine. And so this story is found in the book of John. And you, know, you may know that John is a little different than the other three gospel accounts. There are four gospel accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are pretty similar, uh, but John is different. John tells the story in a different way. Uh, it's written much later than the other three, and, and so it kind of has a different spin uh, or, or different perspective on, on the story. It has a lot fewer events than the other three, but it has more details about the events that are included. There are a lot longer conversations in John. And John also has some unique uh, events and occurrences that aren't recorded in any of the other Gospels. And this wedding feast at Cana that we're going to look at this morning is one of those stories. Uh, the events that happen here at this wedding are, are what John refers to as a sign. He says this is the first of Jesus' signs that revealed his glory. We're going to come back to that phrase at the end, revealed his glory. So kind of keep that in mind. And so for John, miracles are more than, than just kind of parlor tricks. They're more than cool things that Jesus is able to do. They're more even than, than good deeds that kind of meet the, the needs of others around him. 
For John, miracles are signs that point to the authority, the power, uh, the glory of God as manifested in, in the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's what he is trying to tell as he tells us about these things that Jesus goes about doing. Uh, and, and John records seven of these signs, which is probably intentional as well. Seven was a very important number in Jewish culture. It represents completeness and wholeness. And, and so John has seven of these through his, his account, all of which point to something about Jesus. And so we're going to jump right in then to John chapter 2. So if you want to turn there with us, John chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 1 and read through verse 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servant, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Okay, so there's a lot going on uh, in this story, uh, a lot of different directions we could go with it. A lot has been said, a lot could be, be said about the interaction between Jesus and his mom, which is very interesting, and uh, many different takes that you could have on it, but even you, your Bible may have a note like mine does at the bottom, because Jesus just calls her woman, and so mine says in there, uh, there's a note at the bottom that says, woman does not denote any disrespect, <laughs> Like, in other words, this isn't as bad as it sounds. <laughs> like, this sounds rough in English, but it actually wasn't that way um, at the time. And so their, their interaction is very interesting, but we're not actually going to look at any of that today. Instead, today, I want to draw our attention to the servants in the story. So look again at verse 9. It says, He, the master of the banquet, did not realize where it, the wine, had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Uh, so I want us to just imagine how differently the master of the banquet and these servants must have experienced this whole scene. Like maybe you can think of a time where you experienced something together with someone else and, and you both, you experienced the same exact thing, but you just had completely different takeaways. Maybe it was a, a movie you went to or an event or, or something that happened or just, just something happened and, and you just had a completely different takeaway than the other person that changed the whole experience and, and shaped it in a completely different way. 
Uh, that is this to the extreme with this master of the banquet and the servant. Because the only thing that the master of the banquet knows about what's going on is that for some reason, the host of this wedding have saved the really good stuff for the middle of the week. <laughs> That's all he knows, and he doesn't know why that is. Uh, he calls the bridegroom over to him, and he says, hey man, look, usually by this point in the week, I'm drinking like the cheap box stuff, right? Like, this is the point in the week when the people bring out the cheap stuff. You've, you've saved the good stuff for now. And we, he doesn't, we don't really know whether he's saying that as like, hey, good on you for doing that because I'm, I'm glad to be having some good stuff or like, you should have brought this out first. Like, <laughs> why did you save this for now? Um, but in any, any case, he, he thinks this is something to, to be brought out to this guy that, hey, you know, this is, this is impressive. You've saved the good stuff for now. Uh, because in Jewish culture, weddings were like a week-long event. Uh, they were actually the culmination of a, a year-long process that had several steps to it. And so that, this kind of year leading up to the wedding ends with this week of feasting and partying. Uh, and it would be a community event that everyone was invited to. And to run out of wine in the middle of that week would have been just a disaster. Um, it would have been socially just awful. Um, imagine like you, and you have your family over to your house for the holidays for a week or something like that, and your Wi-Fi goes out midweek. I mean, just like <laughs> devastating, devastating stuff. There's nowhere to turn from that because now you've got to talk to each other and things are just bad. You need that Wi-Fi, right? Or maybe wine still fits that for you. <laughs> like either way. Wine or Wi-Fi, whichever one works. This is, this is bad stuff to run out of wine in the middle of a wedding week. Uh, and so Mary seems to realize this. She comes to Jesus, and they work this out, where Jesus is like, well, we've got some water. We can do something with that, right? But the master of the banquet doesn't know any of that. He just thinks, man, they've, they've brought out the good stuff for now. But the servants who are standing there, they know what they put in those water jars, and they know that there's no way anyone could have messed with that, right? These are big, heavy-duty stone jars, each of which hold 20 to 30 gallons of water. And these haven't left their sight since they filled them up with water. It would be difficult enough for someone to switch them out, right? But, but they've been in their sight the whole time. No one's come and dipped out the water and replaced it with wine. Like, they know all of these things to be true. And so they just have to be watching this master of the banquet taste this wine with just complete bewilderment, right? Like, what in the world? I, I know all the steps that went into this process, and none of them had anything to do with grapes, much less wine, right? So how did this even happen? All the master knows is, here's some good wine. But the servants, they know the backstory of this wine. They know where the wine has been. They know what the wine started as. They know that they are experiencing something miraculous because they know where this wine started and where it is now. And so imagine then if you're in the shoes of the servants watching this guy drink from this wine that has been drawn out of these jars and you've just got to be wondering what in the world is going on here, right? Like maybe one of them finally brings out their phone to pull out Amazon to order one of these water jars. I think that lines up chronologically and that's accurate. That, uh, because they're, they're at least probably saying to each other, right, that I, I need one of these water jars at my house. Like 
I don't know what's wrong with my water jars, but they don't do that. <laughs> How do you come about a water jar that turns water into wine? Um, they've they've got to be, maybe, maybe that thought at least crosses one of their heads, because this just isn't something that normally happens. Uh, but of course, there's not a water jar that does that, which is kind of the point. The water jar itself isn't the force of the transformation, neither is the water that is within the jars, and the servants know that they certainly had nothing to do with this either. And yet, what went in as water comes out as not only wine, but the best wine of the feast. And the servants who had drawn the water, knew. So what are we to make of all that? Uh, A couple of things, I think. First, is that the spiritual transformation that takes place within each of us is not our own work, but is the work of Christ through the Spirit within us. Uh, So imagine if you've you've got, imagine you've got the servants kind of lined up, each with their kind of stone jars in front of the master of the banquet, And imagine that as the master of the banquet tastes the the wine that's been drawn out of one of these jars, one of the guys just kind of starts elbowing his buddy next to him. He's like, hey, that that wine was from my jar. Did you see what I did there? I I changed that water to wine. And the guy next to him is like, what are you talking about? That's ridiculous. Of course you didn't do that. (laughs) Uh, You know, we know that you had nothing to do with that. How arrogant and self-involved would you have to be to believe that that you had anything to do with that process, right? But maybe he keeps going. He's like, well, but I went and got the jar. I filled it up. I put the water in there. I got the water out. I handed it to the master of the banquet. No one else has touched this water, this jar, since I first grabbed it. Like, how else could you give credit to anybody but me, right? And so by this point, his friend's just fed up with him, and he, like, pours out a pulls out a cup of his own jar, and he's like, look, dude, we've all got wine. Like, <laughs> it happened to all of our jars. None of us had anything to do with it. Get, get over it. You could convince yourself, though, that, that maybe I had something to do with this. But they all know this isn't anything that we've done. Uh, because that guy can try that a hundred times out of a hundred, and if he tries that a hundred times without Jesus' involvement, if he pours water into that jar, he's taking water out a hundred times out of a hundred. Every time, right? Without Jesus' water, that's only going to come out as water. It is only with the involvement of Jesus that he's able to draw wine out of this jar. And we have found this repeatedly in our water stories throughout Scripture. uh, That Moses is the one to raise his hands over the sea, but it is God who parts the waters. Noah is the one who who builds the ark, but it's God who, who provides the rains on the earth. Even in the story that that was actually the the last story we looked at before this series, in the story of Naaman in the Old Testament, it's Naaman who has to dip into the river seven times, but it's God who provides the healing. And similarly, then, we are the ones who go down into the waters of baptism, but it's God who is doing the regenerative and transformative work within us. Repeatedly, God calls his people to faithful action, And repeatedly, God is the driving force behind salvation, redemption, and transformation. Uh, So there's a couple of verses at the beginning of Romans that that are some favorites of mine. I feel like I reference them a lot. 
And so, but there, there's a couple of phrases in here that really kind of stood out to me differently this week in thinking about some of this and reading someone else's thoughts uh, on these two verses. So I want you to listen to the first two verses of Romans 12, where Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Uh, Now, Paul never says anything about baptism there. He's talked about baptism earlier in the week, but that connects with what we've been talking about in baptism, that in baptism we die to ourselves, we offer ourselves to God, and we are risen as this new creation, uh, and which, which fits everything that Paul is saying there at the beginning of Romans 12. So keep going then in verse 2. This is from the English Standard Version, by the way, which, which phrases this verse just a little bit differently than what I'm kinda, I usually read out of the NIV. But there's a, a slight difference here that matches up with what's in the original text that I want us to pay attention to in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so notice there that the the action that is happening in verse 2, the verbs that are happening in verse 2, Uh, that you have be conformed contrasted with be transformed. And both of those are in the passive present tense, which means that the action is happening to us, or Paul envisions the action happening to the people that he is writing to. And so you may say, well, why is that important? Uh, And so think of it this way. Like, if I start running, the one thing I'm probably not going to make it very far, I don't like to run, but if I start running... I am the one doing the moving, right? I am the one exerting the force. I am the one who is verbing. (laughs) I'm acting. I'm doing something. I am moving. But if I am in a car, I am being moved. Uh, My body is still traveling, but I am being moved. It is the car that is exerting the force. It is the car that's the driving force behind what I am doing. Uh, If I'm driving the car, I may be kind of doing something, that is making the car move, but the car is actually the thing moving, right? I am being moved. There's, I am passively moving from one place to another. Um, and I think we find that it's far easier and more effective and more efficient to travel that way, right? Uh, most of us did not walk here today unless you're really close <laughs> uh, because who wants to walk that far or walk in the heat or it's just easier to get in the car and be moved somewhere, Right? Uh, this is the difference between uh, me actively doing something and, pe- and something being done kind of towards me or within me. And so being conformed to the world is, is easy, and it happens without any purposeful thought. The patterns and cultures and the ways of the world act upon us in ways that I don't think we will probably ever fully realize. Uh, it doesn't take any intentional thought or effort for me to be conformed to the world. But when that happens, it is the world exerting its force and influence upon me in order to conform me to the ways and patterns of the world that we see around us. And in doing so, I am being conformed to the things around me in this world. But to be transformed through the Spirit takes much more intentionality and purpose. Uh, It takes cultivating wisdom of the Spirit within us. 
It takes much more intentionality to be transformed through the Spirit. But we find that when we allow ourselves to sit with and dwell with the Spirit who is within us, when we seek His kingdom and His righteousness before the things of this world, our minds begin to be transformed uh, and, and begin to be our, we, we find our thoughts begin to shift and we become transformed instead of allowing ourselves to be conformed to the world. We are either allowing ourselves to be conformed to the world or we submit to God to be transformed through Him. And when we allow the Spirit then to transform us, we become witnesses of the transformative power of God and reveal His glory to those around us. Uh, think again about these words about the servants. The servants who had drawn the water knew. Uh, you think they didn't have a story to share after that? Uh, they probably had to have one of the other servants with them to tell this story going forward, right? Like, if you don't believe me, ask Johnny. Like, he was there. He knew the whole thing. He even thought it was him. Like, silly guy. Uh, like, th they probably had to have one of them, like, to keep them accountable. Because who would believe this story, right? That you just put water in a jar and it came out as wine. They've got quite the story to tell going forward. The water transformed into wine bore witness to the authority of Jesus. It was a sign of who Jesus was, and it revealed his glory to the servants, to the disciples. And John even tells us at the end of that story, uh, his disciples believed in him. So this is something that, that would cause you to, to believe in someone's power and authority and glory, right? Similarly, our transformation also bears witness to the power of Christ that is at work within us. And that's why, that's what we are then. We are witnesses to the glory of God within us. And when we submit ourselves to the Spirit and allow Him to, to mold us and expose us, when we seek Him and His kingdom, and in doing so, allow ourselves to, to get uncomfortable enough to pursue change and, and to be spiritually formed in Christ through His Spirit, we are like water that is transformed into wine. And that in doing so, we reveal God's glory within us. Uh, each Sunday, we come around the table to share in the wine, if you will, of Jesus' blood. We celebrate his life and we proclaim his resurrection until he comes back. And we are then reminded of the transformation offered by way of the cross. Paul tells us that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, we're going to sing a song in just a minute that I think tells a similar story uh, to a song that was written uh, long ago. And so, uh, Zeke, I am going to go to this, this picture of this. This is a picture of Charlotte Elliott. Uh, Charlotte Elliott was alive in the 1800s, and at one point in her life, uh, she became... Uh, I know this is a dated word. She got very sick and became an invalid. So if you look up stories of her life... That's what it will say. Uh, that is a very, uh, it's a word we don't use anymore, and I think for good reason. Uh, because if you pronounce invalid differently, it sounds like invalid, right? <laughs> Imagine someone telling you that you are invalid, and that's how you are defined. Invalid. 
Uh, so before uh, Charlotte Elliott got, got really sick and became an invalid, uh, she was a humor writer, and she wrote all kinds of humorous writings and musings. And then after she got sick, uh, that part was difficult, and she couldn't find it within her to write humorous stories and things anymore. Uh, and so eventually, though, she kind of has this, this renaissance of her own faith. She grew up in a Christian home, and she kind of discovers faith for herself after all this takes place, and she begins to write poetry and hymns. Uh, and one night, it just so happened, the rest of her family uh, was off at this big church event, and, and on this particular night, she was particularly, again, overcome with this sense of, of desperation and depression, because while the rest of her family was out doing stuff, she was laying on the couch, an invalid, she had been told. Uh, and she struggled with this idea of uselessness through her whole life, uh, that, that what do I have to offer? What in the world could I bring and, and, and do? I can't do anything. People are telling me I am even invalid. And so she began to write, reminded by the spirit of words from a preacher. She begins to write this poem, this hymn, that, that seeks to explain uh, how it is that she can make sense of what she was going through and how that can be used and transformed into something good. And so she begins to write the words, Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And she continues writing this hymn that has become well-known to many of us. And, and how ironic that this woman who thought she was useless, um, her, her words become transformative for so many others through generations across countries, across cultures. Uh, and words like the song that we're going to sing here in just a minute uh, resonate with this idea of, of just as I am. That we're going to sing these words that invite us to, to come as we are to Jesus, come to the table as we are, but expect that when we do so, Christ through his spirit will transform us. And so we can come brokenhearted, we can come in need of rescue, trusting uh, with full confidence and assurance that Jesus is going to bring that to us. And so we come around the table to share in the wine of Jesus's blood, and in doing so, we are reminded of the transformation that is offered to us in him. And so may we reveal God's glory within us as we share in communion this morning as the, the band comes back up and we'll get ready to sing together again. And as we then are called to faithfully live out our baptisms as those who have died to ourselves and have risen to be made new, to be transformed from water into wine. And so may we similarly be called to find our purpose, to be willing to sit with the Spirit, uh, to know how it is that He has equipped us for service in the kingdom, and to be open to the ways in which God is attempting to shape us through Jesus. Would you stand uh, as we sing together and then share in communion together this morning? Come wherever you can, come broken hearted, let the rescue begin. Come find your mercy, oh sinner, come heal. Earth has no sorrow that never can heal. Earth has no sorrow that never can heal. 
confession together and then we'll share in communion. So I'll pray the parts in white and then together we will pray the parts in yellow. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable, or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> 